We are walking through a letter from Peter to the church. This is a timeless letter in its nature. And what I mean by that is it was a letter that was written in the first century to a group of Christians scattered throughout what is today Asia Minor. But it is also for us. In God's providence, He has established that this letter that was written would mean for us what it meant for the readers in the first century. And as we have started into this series going through First Peter five weeks in, we have seen two of the themes that we mentioned that we would see as we walked through the letter. In the introduction, we talked about five big themes that we would see throughout this letter. We've seen two of those so far. The first one is the work of God on behalf of His people. It's very clear as Peter has opened this letter. The work of God on behalf of His people. Verses 3-12. through 12. And actually, all the way back to verse 1, if, if you want to see how, G, how Peter referred to us as the elect exiles, according to the foreknowledge of God. And we are the chosen exiles, the chosen aliens, according to the foreknowledge of God. He has caused us to be born again. He has given us an inheritance. And not only has He given us an inheritance, but He keeps that inheritance for us in heaven, and He keeps us so that we will one day arrive to receive that inheritance. This is what God has done for us. And then Peter begins to talk about the expected response. When you know what God has done for you, when you know the work that He has done, you respond. What is the response to His work? And Peter says that the response is that His people will worship in response to God and what He has done. And specifically in that worship, that we would pursue holiness, which is the second big theme that we have seen already in Peter. And Josh covered that for us last week when he was preaching. Verses 13 to 16. Set your hope on His grace. Let your hope not be in your works. Let your hope not be in your abilities or your effort. Let your hope not be in your resources. Set your hope on His grace. His grace that has come to you, His grace that is coming to you, and His grace that will come to you. Put your hope there. And because you hope in Him, be obedient children and be holy as He is holy. That is the expected response of understanding what God has done for us. Holiness, when we went through a series earlier this year called Rooted and Growing, talking about being rooted in Christ and growing as a church, we said that holiness involves two things, a separation and a dedication. That holiness is being separated from that which is common and being dedicated to God and His glory. It's being separated from placing your worship on created things and rather being dedicated to the worship of your Creator, of God. And so you and I... As believers, we respond to God, we respond to His work by increasing in our dedication to Him and at the same time decreasing in our dedication to what is common and what is created. And that should be the pattern of our life as a believer. We're not going to be perfect in that all the time. We're going to stumble and fall. We're going to have to be picked up by the Holy Spirit. But we should be able to see this pattern of growth 
where we are becoming more and more enthralled with God and His glory and wanting to be dedicated to Him and His kingdom and His ways. And at the same time, we're going to become less dedicated to created things, less dedicated to our flesh, less dedicated to sin. And that is how we become true worshipers. That is how we grow as worshipers. More of Him, less of us. More of Christ in us, less of our flesh. That's what we're seeking after. Now here's my question to us. What causes us to respond to God in that way? We just said, this is, this is what God has done. This is who God is. This is what He's done for us. And the expected response is worship. Lives of holiness becoming increasingly dedicated to Him, decreasingly dedicated to the world. My question, though, is what causes that to happen? Because there are many people who hear about God, hear about what God has done, but they don't respond to Him in lives of holiness. They don't respond to Him in worship. What is the difference? What causes us to do that? And my answer from this text, 1 Peter, but also from my reading of the New Testament, is that what causes us to respond appropriately to God is God working in our hearts. He works in the hearts of those who, as Peter said, call out to Him or appeal to Him as Father. And He works in our heart to cause us to respond appropriately. It's not just by our effort. I say this to us a lot. It's not because we've arrived at some higher, more intelligent plane than other people. It is because God is doing something in the hearts of those who appeal to Him as Father. And I think it's a very specific work. I think from what we see in 1 Peter, God is stirring in us two profound emotions toward Him. So let's look at this life truth together. For a Christian... Fear of God and love for God are harmonious gifts of grace. Fear of God and love for God are harmonious gifts of grace. These are the two profound emotions that I believe God stirs in the hearts of His people. And that is the difference maker in how we respond to God and His works versus how those who do not know Him fail to respond to Him and His works. If you are familiar with one of the great Old Testament passages about future salvation, it's in Ezekiel 36. And it's, it's a place where God very clearly states, here is what future salvation is going to look like the salvation that you and I enjoy today. Here is what the new covenant salvation is going to look like. And in Ezekiel 36, and if you haven't read that or haven't read it in a while, I encourage you to write that down and read that sometime today or this week. But in Ezekiel 36, God says, here's what I'm going to do in the new covenant. Here's what I'm going to do in future salvation, what we enjoy today. I am going to remove from my people, their heart of stone. Now, I want you to think about a stone and a rock. And if you have a heart like a rock, 
It means it's unfeeling, uncaring, not moved, not emotional. To have a heart of stone, a hardened heart, means you don't respond to God. You don't respond to Him in fear. You don't respond to Him in love. You don't respond to Him. You have no emotional response to anything that God has done or is doing. And God says in the new salvation, I will remove that heart of stone and I will replace it with a heart of flesh. The opposite of having a hardened heart, a soft heart, a heart that does respond, a heart that is caring, a heart that reacts to what God has done. And furthermore, God says, I will place my spirit inside of you and move you to follow my commands. That's the new covenant salvation. God does heart surgery. We're born again. He takes out our heart of stone. He gives us a heart of flesh. He places His Spirit in us and He moves us to follow His commands. And that new heart and that new Spirit are gifts from God. And from that new heart and that new Spirit, you and I have new emotions. From the heart, which the Bible calls the wellspring of life, Everything you do, every way that you respond to God comes from what's in your heart. Every action comes from what's in your heart. Every word that comes out of your mouth comes from your heart. And God grants us heartfelt emotions toward Him. One of those emotions is love. Remember in 1 Peter 1, verses 8 and 9, though you have not seen Him, you what? You, you love Him. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not see Him, you believe in Him, and you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. One of the emotions that God gives us is He causes us to love Him with great joy. To love Him with gratitude in our hearts. When we talked about verses 8 and 9, we said that our ability to love God, whom we have not seen, is because God loved us first. Because He has poured His love into our hearts. That's what the Word says. So one of those profound emotions that He gives us is love, but the other profound emotion that He gives us is fear. He causes us to fear Him. To tremble in light of His position as the divine judge of the universe. In verse 17, what Lamar just read to us, Peter makes this appeal. If you call Him Father, if you appeal to Him as Father, if you say, God is my Father in heaven, then conduct yourself with fear throughout your time of exile. Throughout the time that you're on the earth, living apart from Him and His kingdom, where His Spirit is in you, but you are apart from the fullness of His presence, until that day where you arrive there with Him, live, conduct yourself with fear. And I call these harmonious gifts of grace. I know harmonious may not be a word that we use every week, but I searched this week for the right word to use there. And the reason I was looking for the right word is because I think 
we have a tendency in Christendom to pit love for God and fear of God against each other as if they're opposed. But in Scripture, they are found completely in tune with one another. If you have a Bible or a... I hope you have a Bible. If you have a Bible out, that'll do for this morning. But we'd love to give you a Bible if you don't have one. We'd love to have God's Word in our hands. Psalm 112, verse 1. Turn there. And that's when you see this from the psalmist. Psalm 112, verse 1. Praise the Lord, the psalmist says. Blessed is the man. Now you pause there for a moment. Blessed means fortunate and happy. So when we see that, it should get our attention. The Bible is about to tell me how to have a blessed life. How to be fortunate, how to be happy. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in His commandments. I want you to see there fear and delight side by side in the life of someone who is blessed by God. Not opposed, not in opposition to one another, but side by side as harmonious gifts that God gives. Church, I don't believe we can love God without God. I don't think we can rightly fear God without God. And I believe both fear and love work in tune together in the life of a believer. And the reality is some of us only really know how to relate to God through love. It almost seems seems wrong to talk about we should fear Him. Some of us have the mindset that The fear of God was an Old Testament concept, which it was. But we might be surprised that it is also a very profound New Testament concept. We know these majestic passages that say God calls us friend, which He does. That He has adopted us as children, which He does. Where He has given us forgiveness which He does. But when we start talking about God's wrath against sin, it throws us off. Now, on the other hand, there are some of us who only know how to relate to God through fear. Based on how we were born or raised or maybe churches that we were in or concepts we were introduced to intentionally or unintentionally, we only understand the idea of fearing God. And the thought that God would love us, delight in us, that His Word says He sings loudly over His people, we don't get it. That doesn't resonate with us. Some churches in Christendom tend to focus on one or the other. Churches that primarily preach about God's wrath and judgment. Very, not very often mentioning His love and His grace and His delight in His people. And on the other hand, there are churches that tend to focus on God's love and His patience. And they rarely mention His wrath and His judgment. My goal this morning is not to call us to balance. 
I'm not saying here, hey, if you're, if you're 75% relating to God in love, you need to bring your fear up a little bit so you can be 50-50. Or opposite. That's not the goal. That's not what I'm wanting to present to you this morning. What I'm wanting to do is expose in the Scriptures that love for God and fear of God are not inconsistent and they are harmonious realities in the heart of a Christian. That they are in tune together. Harmonious means free from disagreement. Harmonious means creating a pleasing and complete wholeness. I'm not wanting you to be a balanced Christian. I want you to be a whole Christian. I'm not looking for you to be a balanced worshiper. I want you to be a whole worshiper. And a whole worshiper understands that the gifts of fear and trembling before God and the gifts of love and delight in God are together in our hearts. They're harmonious. We believe both. We embrace both. Some of you this morning, some of us, we may not have this wholeness because we've been taught or we've learned to only relate to God one of those two ways. I want today, and I've prayed this week, that today would be helpful to you and corrective to you. We are blessed. We have a blessed life. We are fortunate and happy when we embrace both. Because both the fear of God and the love for God are biblical indicators of fidelity and worship. That we are genuine worshipers. When you think about corporate worship for a moment, what we do when we come here, when we gather as Christians, there should be times where we are singing and praising and praying from our hearts that are thankful and overflowing with love for God. And there should be times where we are bowing and kneeling and praying, trembling at His Word. And our lives of worship, lives of holiness, should see both of these realities that we love Him supremely and we fear Him only. And it creates a melody of soul that allows us to live in a way that is pleasing to God and builds us up. So before we drill down into Peter's exhortations this morning, I want to take a moment to consider the nature of the fear of the Lord. Because a few weeks ago we talked about the love for God that He pours into our hearts. So I want to talk about for a moment the nature of the fear of the Lord and why it's helpful to us. Why it is helpful to us. So for a believer, and again, I'm talking about for Christians. We're not talking about for those who haven't come to know Him yet. Someone who does not know Him yet through Christ cannot know the fear of the Lord as He calls us to fear Him. They can only know terror and terror ahead. Before a believer, the fear of the Lord is not mere respect. It is not mere respect in your notes. I think, and I understand why preachers do this, because this is a difficult concept to teach. I prayed much yesterday that 
that I would not say anything or do anything to cause someone to think wrongly about God. That's the last thing that I, I want to do. I want to help us think rightly about God. But I think many well-meaning preachers, when we get to the fear of the Lord, tend to say, well, that means reverent, be reverent, have reverence for God or have respect for God. The problem with that is I think it ignores the language because fear means be afraid. It doesn't, doesn't just say honor God. There are passages that tell us to do that. It says fear God. Be afraid of God. Now, how does that work in our lives? I want you to see this. Matthew chapter 10. Again, if you have a Bible, go to Matthew 10 for a moment. Matthew chapter 10. Let me set the stage. Jesus has called His 12 disciples to Himself. He's getting ready to send them out on mission. And He tells them, I'm going to send you out and I am going to give you authority over unclean spirits to cast them out, to heal every disease and every affliction. And He gives them this kind of long instructions on what to do as He sends them out. And I want you to see what He says in verse... Actually, start in verse 25. He says, It's enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? So just pause there. Jesus is saying, Look, they've called me Satan for what I'm doing. So, like, understand they're going to call you that. If they say it about me, they're certainly going to say it about you. But then look what he says in verse 26. Have no fear of them. For nothing is covered that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light. What you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. Do not fear those who can kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Pause there. That we would expect Jesus to say that. They're going to malign you. They're going to say bad things about you. They're going to persecute you. They did it to me. Don't fear them. All they can do is kill you. But then look what he says. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Jesus said this to His disciples. Don't fear man. Guys, listen. The worst they can do is kill you. They'll end your earthly life and you will go and be with your Father in eternity. But I tell you this, if you're going to be afraid, here's who to fear and here's what to fear. Fear the one who can not only kill your body on earth, but destroy your soul in hell. He's not talking about Satan. He's talking about God. He says, fear God. James 4.12 says something similar. There is only one lawgiver and judge who is able to both save and destroy. So, the fear of the Lord is not mere respect. Jesus is making that clear to us. He's not saying, just have reverence for God, be respectful. Now, He's saying, if you're going to fear, and you should, be afraid of God. But He doesn't leave us there. And this is important. He doesn't leave us in that place. 
Because while fear of the Lord is not mere respect, fear of the Lord does not lead to paralyzing dread. For the believer, the fear of the Lord does not lead us to paralyzing dread. In other words, Jesus is taking us somewhere by saying these things. And the place that He is taking us is not to leave us in a paralyzing dread of God where we don't know what to do and we're afraid to go near to Him. Quite the opposite. So look at what Jesus says next in Matthew 10. The very next verse, verse 29 He says, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. Right after Jesus says, my followers, disciples, first century disciples and disciples of 2021, don't fear man. Don't fear man. Fear God. But know that the fear of God is to lead you to His compassion and His love that He greatly values you. Pennies were minuscule, unimportant almost, values of money. And we kind of understand that today. I remember my dad, I can just vividly remember being in the Walmart parking lot in Roebuck 30 years ago and walking to the car, stepping over a penny, and my dad saying, what are you doing? And I said, what? And he said, you didn't pick up the change. I said, it's just a penny. And he said, it's money. Pick it up. I still just remember that. But pennies... Right? We kind of devalue pennies. Nobody gets, you might get, my kids get excited about finding four quarters because they can buy a drink at McDonald's. Nobody gets excited about finding four pennies. You're like 96 more and I can, I can do something. Okay. Pennies and then sparrows. Sparrows were considered this smallest of creatures. Jesus is saying, God is sovereign over the smallest of things and the things that you would overlook, the smallest of details. There is not a bird on the earth that falls to the ground without God's knowledge. Anywhere in the world, right now, a bird is flying somewhere and it falls to the ground, it hits something, falls to the ground, God knows about it. And then Jesus said, do you not believe you're more valuable than a sparrow to your Creator? Don't fear man. Fear God and know that He has chosen you and loves you. It's the same thing Peter said. You are chosen exiles. Know your value. Know your identity. Know who you are. You have been chosen as a believer by the Creator of the universe. The fear of God buries all other fears. Because every other fear is a lower fear. If you belong to God, what is there to be afraid of, the Bible says? Ultimately, the fear of God grants you courage. Because Jesus says the only thing you should fear is God. 
So be bold and be courageous because God has you. Because you are His. Nothing happens in your life without His knowledge. If He knows what's happening in the, in the life of an unnamed bird, He knows what's happening in your life. So be of good courage. Paul said in Ephesians 3, In Christ we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in Him. The fear of the Lord is not mere respect, but it does not lead us in paralyzing dread. Every analogy and illustration that we can use to try and explain spiritual things will will fall short somewhere. But the best example I can think of is my own dad. You guys have heard me talk about him before. Passed away 16 years ago. I loved my dad and my dad loved me. He was not a, a, a godly figure. He confessed Christ, but he greatly wrestled to walk with Christ. But I never doubted he loved me. I never doubted he was proud of me. I never doubted if he wanted to spend time with me. Like I knew that. We were best friends. But there was no person I was more afraid of than my dad. And it wasn't because he was abusive or violent. I wanted to please him. I wanted to have his pleasure. And I would have rather have listened to my mom give me a tongue lashing for four hours than my dad give me one for two minutes. God is our good, gracious, heavenly Father. Father is the most common term the New Testament uses to describe our relationship with God. And in Christ, God's wrath against us has been satisfied. And He delights in us, and we delight in Him. Yet He remains the awesome, majestic, holy God of the universe to whom we are accountable for our lives. And it is only by His grace that the fear of God and the love of God can harmoniously exist in our hearts. That we fear Him appropriately, but that fear draws us into Him and gives us courage. What does the fear of the Lord do for us? Four things in your notes. I'm going to stop and say something about each one of them. It brings us to repentance. The fear of the Lord brings us to repentance. Romans 3 talks about how among those with hardened hearts, Romans 3 says there is no fear of God before their eyes. But for you and I, we have experienced what Romans 2 verses 4 and 5 says is the riches of God's kindness. The riches of His kindness is meant to lead us to repentance. So when you and I stand in awe before God, the divine judge of the universe, God draws us to Himself. You might say, but it is His kindness that leads us to repentance. It is. And the fear of the Lord is what helps us understand the kindness of God. If you don't understand the position that you have earned before the divine judge, you'll never understand the kindness of His riches that had invited you in to be His child. So the fear of the Lord brings us to repentance. The fear of the Lord deepens our worship. The fear of the Lord deepens our worship. Romans chapter 5, verses 7 through 11 talks about how while we were still enemies, Christ died for us. 
We were enemies of God and Christ died for us. Romans chapter 5 says that we are saved by Christ from the wrath of God. We are saved by His life because we were enemies, we were under His wrath. Those are fearful things, but now we have been saved. In the end of Romans 5, 7-11, verse 11 says, Now we rejoice in God through Jesus through whom we now have received reconciliation. Our joy as Christians in God comes because we know God has reconciled us to Himself. The fact that we need to be reconciled means we had separation from God. We had a reason to be afraid and His wrath. And we were enemies of His, but now Jesus has reconciled us. So the fear of the Lord brings us to repentance. It deepens our worship. The fear of the Lord guards our conduct. So as now we're walking out this life, we have been saved, we've been reconciled to God. Now as we walk this life out, we do so, as Peter said, in the fear of the Lord. Not the fear that we had before Christ, which was a fear of condemnation, but now the fear that God is our good Father who disciplines His children. 2 Corinthians 7.1 Paul makes the case, because we have the promised Spirit of God, because God is our Father, Paul says this, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. Sanctification, as Josh pointed out to us last week, is a work of the Spirit in us. You can't sanctify yourself. God sanctifies us by His Spirit in us. But we are called by God to participate with the Spirit's work by His power putting to death deeds of the flesh. The Spirit is going to point out to you things you should lay down. The Spirit is going to point out to you things you should stop doing, stop saying. He is going to point out to you when your conduct is not in line. If that is not happening in your life on a consistent basis, there's a spiritual problem. Perhaps you've not been brought to true salvation or perhaps you're not listening for the Spirit. But He will tell you where you're out of line. So we bring holiness to completion by listening to Him in His power. And we do this in the fear of the Lord. If you call God your Father, Scripture is telling us that has ramifications for your life. You don't just call Him Father and keep on living the way that you were before. If you call Him Father, that means something. You are to love Him and you are to fear Him. And that fear of the Lord brings us to repentance, deepens our worship, guards our conduct, and finally it builds us up. I just want you to see it's good for us to fear the Lord appropriately. Not in terror of condemnation, but in understanding who He is, that He is our divine Father who we're accountable to. That will build us up in the faith. One of my favorite passages about the church is from Acts 9, verse 31. And it makes this statement about the church, and I pray this for us all the time. 
very routinely. I prayed it this morning in the prayer room, but Acts 9.31 says, The church was being built up, walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, and it multiplied. That God would let us be built up and multiply in the way that He chooses, adding to our number those being saved adding to our number those we're reaching in our community. How do we get there? We seek to walk in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. If we just try to walk in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, we don't even know what we're being comforted from. And if we just try to walk in the fear of the Lord, we're missing it. It's both. Love for God, fear of God harmoniously together in our hearts. So let's see how Peter stirs us up to this in the passage that Lamar read to us this morning. 1 Peter chapter 1. And I use that language in your notes. Be stirred up by remembering. Peter says this in his second letter. He says, I think it's my job to stir you up by way of reminder. I think about that as a pastor. A lot of times I'm not telling you things you've never heard of before. A lot of exhortation and preaching in public like this is to remind you of things you already know that you will be stirred up by those things. So be stirred up, church, by remembering in your heart. Be stirred up to true worship by remembering these things. Number one, the seriousness of sin and the majesty of the cross. Be stirred up to love for God and fear of God by the seriousness of sin and the majesty of the cross. Look at what Peter says in verse 20 and 21. Jesus was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through Him are believers in God, who raised Him from the dead and gave Him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. I want you to see there that God has worked. God has worked so that through Jesus, you would place your faith and hope in God. It is not uncommon for people to think of, we love Jesus and fear God. But God says, what Jesus has come to do is do a work in your life so that your faith and your hope are in God, your Father. And that work started before the foundation of the earth. This is one of those places where I've said to you before, I think sometimes we we think we have to let God off the hook for things that He hasn't been asked to be let off the hook for. Here's the reality of what Peter is telling us. We were foreknown for Christ, and Christ was foreknown for us. Foreknown, as we've talked about, doesn't simply mean He knew before. It means He knew personally before. It is language that shows a determination. You are elect exiles in Christ which means you were foreknown for Jesus. And here Peter says, Jesus was foreknown for you. Before God brought a single atom together 
to form this planet, He had already determined to send Jesus as the redemption of His people. And that will turn your theological noodle all day. It is the majesty of the cross. I don't know that we'll ever fully understand it in this life, but we point to it over and over and over again that we might get a glimpse of the majesty of this gospel. That before creation, God had planned our redemption. Before creation, He had planned your redemption. We see the majesty of the cross. We see the seriousness of sin. That leads us to the next reminder I want us to be stirred up to. The costliness of our freedom. I want us to have this harmonious love and fear in our hearts so that we can see the costliness of our freedom. Look at verses 18 and 19. He's already told us to live... Conduct ourselves in fear throughout our time of exile. Verse 18, knowing you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. You were ransomed. That language is intentional. It means... You were purchased from someone you were a slave to by a price and set free. You were a slave to the feudal ways you inherited from your forefathers, but you were ransomed. There was a price paid for you so that you could have freedom, and that price was the blood of Jesus, which we sang about just a moment ago. How does the costliness of our freedom bring us to a healthy fear of the Lord? Because it reminds us to not be careless with our religion. It reminds us to not be careless with what we have been given. It means that we don't treat it lightly. We don't act like church and following Christ, and living in community, and being obedient is something we add to our life, like going down to the Y and getting a membership. It's not one thing we do. It's everything. It's everything. In Him, you live and move and have your being. In Him, eternity is in your heart. In Him, you have promise of reward. Why? Because He ransomed you. I can't even come close. One day I will tell Jack about the precious family heirlooms that I sold to put money toward him, his adoption. One day I will tell of people to him in this church who gave us precious items that belonged to them that we could sell so we could have money to purchase his, his adoption. That doesn't come close to what It costs God to ransom us. The blood of His Son. And not only does that give us a place to not be careless with the gift of grace, but it also does this. It assures us we will be free. He did not waste the blood of His Son. 
Will you be free from the sinful ways of this life that we've inherited from Adam? Yes. And more specifically, some of us may struggle with generational sins. Generational sins that we see passed down in our family. Will we ever be set free from those? Yes. Because God does not waste the blood of His Son. Even right now, you may not be walking fully in that freedom, but you are assured it is yours. Keep pressing. Don't give up. Don't give up. Don't give up. The costliness of the blood of Christ promises your freedom. The fear of the Lord teaches us this. Be stirred up to remember the seriousness of sin, the majesty of the cross, the costliness of your freedom, and the certainty of accountability. The fear of the Lord reminds us of the certainty of accountability. Verse 17, If you call on Him as Father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, God is our judge. Here's the question. How does God look at people who have been justified and say you will be judged? Because being justified means you've been declared not guilty. So I go back to what we've already said. In Christ, you are eternally not guilty of your sins. You'll never be condemned of them. But you will still be judged by giving to Christ an account of your life. He is judging us now. If you are in an unrepentant sin as a believer, if you know that God has called you out of a sin and you are refusing to repent of it, understand He is your good Father who will discipline you. And discipline is not pleasant. And it may hurt. He will do that because He loves you. And He will not leave you in that sin. But that fear of a loving Father who disciplines us should remind us of our accountability to Him. And then secondly, He will judge. There is a day coming according to the Bible. I'll point to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, that says, "...we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil." One day we will stand before Jesus and we will give an account and we will be rewarded or we will lose reward based on what we did. Our works don't impact our salvation. Grace is a gift, but our work, our works do impact eternity. And that day we give an account of our lives to Christ. So be stirred up by remembering the certainty of accountability. And then finally, be stirred up to the necessity of witness. Be stirred up to the necessity of witness. And that is coming from 2 Corinthians 5. Let me read it to you again. I'm going to read verse 10 that I just read, and I'm going to read the next verse in verse 11 in 2 Corinthians 5. Actually, I'll read verse 9. We make it our aim to please Him. That's the description of the Christian life. We make it our aim to please Him. For, or because, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that, here's what's going to happen, each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Therefore, verse 11. So because of this, knowing this, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. Because you and I know the fear of the Lord, 
that one day we will give an account and every person will stand before Christ. That fear, because we know that fear, we go and we persuade others to be saved. We persuade others to come to know Christ. We persuade others for the gospel. I mentioned that podcast earlier, like how do we do that? It's a great question. We are called to it. We are called to persuade others. Sam, you guys can come up. I want to say to you this morning, even as there's movement in the room, but if you're in this room, or if you watch this later on replay, if you are not a believer, I want to speak directly to you. And I always say this, I'm not saying if you haven't been in church your whole life, I'm not saying if you're not religious, that is not the same as being saved. I'm saying if you are not a true follower of Christ who has a love for God and a fear of God in your heart, I want you to know that you are relieved from the fear of God's wrath by looking to Jesus. You are released from the fear of God's wrath by looking to Jesus. So look to Him today. 1 John chapter 4, verse 18 says, Perfect love cast out fear. Talking about the fear of eternal judgment. So look to Jesus today. And then the only fear you will know is the right and appropriate fear of a loving, sovereign Father who disciplines us for our good. And that fear lessens every other fear. Because no one can touch you without His permission. He is your Father. If you're in this room and you have a child, and you go somewhere with them and they're standing next to you, no one gets to your child without coming through you. Your good Heavenly Father who loves you, no one gets to you without coming through Him. The only fear you have in Christ is the appropriate fear of God because you are His. We're going to end by singing in worship. I want to invite you to sing. Sing to the Lord. Sing to the One who is the author of this majestic gospel. Who has foreknown you for Christ and foreknown Christ for you. And this morning, if you have a stirring in your heart to come to Christ... Please do so. Follow Jesus. And you can pray where you are. You can come up here and pray at the altar if you want. I think that's what we're about to sing about. But my one word to you is please don't leave here today without talking to someone about what Jesus is doing in your heart. Come and see me. And come talk to Nick. If you come to me, I'll get your information and we'll talk later today or this week. Follow Jesus. Be baptized as a profession of faith in Him publicly. And then grow in your faith. If you're here this morning and you know that you belong to Him, but you also know you're not walking with Him. You're out of wholeness. You don't love Him as you should. You don't fear Him as you should. Come to Him and confess that. Ask Him to make you whole in your heart. 
If you want someone to pray for you, they will. I want to ask Rob and Eric if they will come over here to the side. Rob and Eric, they will be here. And I'll join them in just a minute. And you can come and ask any of us to pray for you, and we will. About anything in your life. Any place you need wholeness. This is not just the last thing we do before we end the service. It is appropriate to respond to God's Word. Father, I pray today that by Your Spirit, You would help us to have the cause of response. Touch our hearts that we may love You and fear You appropriately. That we may delight in You, knowing You delight in us. And that we may tremble at Your Word, knowing You are a divine Father. And then give us responsive hearts of holiness. Make us into true worshipers. God, if that means today You bring someone to salvation, please do so right now. Take the veil from their hearts and their eyes and cause them to be born again and confess You as Lord. God, for those of us who may be wandering from You, who may be trying to live in two worlds of love for the world and love for You, would You call us to repentance today to come to the altar and pray and receive wholeness in fear and love of You? God, I pray today that by nothing I have said, that it would be harmful to how people view You. I am just a man. Would You please cause us to see You clearly today? To know You that we may worship. Would You cause this church to walk in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, that by Your grace we might multiply for Your glory. Build us up, God. In Jesus' name, amen.